You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. We're going to be uh, in Matthew chapter 7 this morning, so if you want to get that ready, and while you're doing that, I'll just give you a little bit of an update uh, on uh, some things going on in the leadership of the church, in particular um, uh, having to do with me. So if you are part of the Genesis family and, uh, and you've been keeping up, then you already know that uh, the Lord has put it in uh, my heart and in my wife, Jenny's heart, to, uh, to go and uh, live in Thailand uh, among unreached people there and seek to make the gospel known to them. And so that, is, uh, that obviously has a lot of effect on the life of the church here. Uh, because I was, uh, I was here in the beginning, and, and when Jesus planted this church, uh, he, he worked through me to kind of call the first group together and be a staff pastor uh, here for this church. And so there have been a lot of activity, a lot of transition going on. Uh, Hans has come on staff at the church and uh, is doing a great job, uh, and not just teaching, not just preaching, but also working among the elders and working really hard to get to know all of us and learn what the Lord's doing here and join in on that. Uh, and he's really excited to be a part of it and, and really is working so hard and working so humbly. And, and among the elders, let me just say to you publicly how much we've appreciated uh, Hans and how much we respect him, uh, his friendship and his partnership in the gospel. Um, and you're all getting to know him, and by all reports, everybody else feels the same way. So that's been part of the transition. Um, and, and so the, the other side of that coin, really, more than just Hans coming in and joining the pastoral staff, uh, along with Matt, is my transition off. And so uh, next Sunday will actually be my last Sunday on staff uh, as, as a staff elder here at the church. I'll still be an elder for a time. I'll be a lay elder, uh, especially uh, while we continue to, uh, to train and test and complete that process of appointing some new elders who uh, will hopefully be joining, uh, joining the elder team very soon, want to see that through, feel responsible for that. So I'll be an elder at least as long uh, as that process is going, uh, and then probably roll off of the elder board and give uh, myself, my family a time to just be a part of the church, be members of the church, uh, not having that accountability and responsibility of eldership, uh, but just be here and work in the kids' ministry. We're already on the schedule, went to the training, excited for that. Uh, appreciate uh, what that team is doing back there. So stuff like that. Um, just looking forward to being a regular part of the life of the church and being cared for while we're seeking to be sent uh, by the church to go to Thailand. So that's kind of that's that's a bit of a timeline for you if you've been wondering what's going on and what to look forward to um, next Sunday, last Sunday on staff. I, I, I may end up preaching here and there because I'll, I'll be part of the church and. Uh, the elders still believe that the Lord's gifted me for that, and as long as I'm here, uh, if needed, I, I may still end up preaching from time to time, but it'll be, it'll be a lot less uh, because there'll be other things that uh, I believe the Lord's made me responsible for and, and for me to seek. So anyways, that's kind of just a, a brief update 
would love to talk to anybody about it. Uh, all the elders are willing to talk about it. Uh, it's something we're actually really excited that the Lord's doing, believe that he's doing, have really sensed his power and his presence with us as we've been um, making this transition. And uh, so please feel free to come with any questions, any thoughts, uh, anything like that. We're, we're open uh, to talk about it. So, all right, Matthew chapter seven. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 is the text this morning, at least the, the launching point. We're continuing in this series called Word of Life where we're hearing the words of life from Jesus himself, his own teaching, uh, the life that he's called us to, the things he's called us to believe, um, and, and seeking to really learn from him personally. So uh, here we go again, Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. I'll read this text out loud with you if you would follow along. And then once we've read what Jesus says here, we'll stop again, pray for some help, ask the Lord to do what he wants to do. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Let's pray. Lord, we, we wanna say out loud to you, to our own hearts, we are here for you this morning. We know that if our hearts are in the right place, there's all kinds of benefit we would receive from being here. But Lord, we are here for you. We want to honor you. We want to please you. We want to exalt you and glorify you, worship you, say things about you that are true, believe things about you that are true, so that you would be worshiped and exalted and glorified and pleased. So we call on you, God, the Holy Spirit, to lead us into all the truth, to help us understand what Jesus said here, to help us believe everything he said, to help us be committed to everything he said. The things that are readily, easily believed by us and the things that are very difficult, the things that, that grate against our natural desires. Lord, we wanna believe those things as well. So please, Help us, and, and even more than help us, Lord, would you possess us? Would you control us? Would you lead us, shepherd our souls this morning? Please, please work with your own power. Accomplish your own purposes here in this ministry of your word. We ask for it to the glory of Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. 
For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So from the outset here, I want you to use your imagination a little bit and, and run with the analogy or the metaphor that Jesus is giving for a way that leads to destruction and a way that leads to life. Imagine a very wide open, flat road that is leading to destruction and a way that is very narrow and a way that is very rocky or difficult, hard to navigate, but that way is leading to life. When you're on the way, the easy way seems right. It's more comfortable, it's more sensible, it appeals to your nature. That's why you're on it, right? If you looked at two ways and one of them was really wide and there's a lot of people on it and it seems to make sense, then you go, well, this must be the right way. And then you look and there's another way and there's just a sparse smattering of people on it spread out and they're having a difficult time navigating it. Which road do you naturally choose? The one that looks easier, the one that a lot of people are taking and that's why so many people are on it. And the reason why so few people are on the more difficult, the narrow path, the hard path, the reason why so few are on it is because it doesn't appeal to our nature. The narrow gate here represents the way to salvation. That's what Jesus is declaring. The way of entry into salvation and the life that results from salvation. It's a narrow gate because it's only through genuine faith in Jesus that entry is possible. One way in, narrow. Not not a variety of options, not a really broad path. Hey, just come one, come all. No, come one, come all who by grace through faith in Christ believe in him. Very narrow way. Every other way will lead a person to the wrath of God against them in their sinfulness. Every other way. That's why it's narrow. There's only one way, and a very narrow way at that, that leads to life. And every other way leads to destruction, as Jesus puts it. The way that leads to life is hard, not just narrow, but also hard, Jesus says, because it can only be lived out by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, not by our natural power, not through just normal human effort or even exceptional human effort. There's nothing in us that can lead us down this path. That's why it's hard. While the way that leads to destruction is easy because the path of sin that we naturally take in our own strength is what leads us down this path. We can be on this path in our own strength. That's easy. It's easy to just appeal to your own nature, to do what comes naturally to you. So this is a command here from Jesus to place faith in him, deliberately continue in the faith throughout our lives. In John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Using this analogy of uh, a shepherd's gate and the sheep. 
I am the door. I'm the way into the pasture. If anyone enters by me, he says, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. This again means that those who belong to Jesus, his sheep, will enter into his care only through faith in him. So according to Jesus, there are two gates or two ways. Two gates, two ways. The gate or the way to destruction, wide and easy, a lot of people going through it, a lot of people walking on it. And the gate or the way to life is narrow and hard. There are very few going through it, very few walking on it, comparatively speaking. And Jesus doesn't mean here that the way to destruction is easy because you have plenty of money, because all your family loves you, because everything is working out. That's not what he means by easy. He doesn't mean that the way to life is hard because it comes with more difficult circumstances. That's not what Jesus is talking about here because we know that both those who trust in Christ and those who don't face a lot of difficulty in this life, right? All of us. There's, there's Christians and non-Christians who are starving. Christians and non-Christians who suffer persecution, who suffer ostracization. There's Christians and non-Christians who lose their jobs, who have strife in their families, who don't have enough to... Uh, enough money or enough resources to make it from month to month comfortably, right? We all know that, right? Amen. The way to destruction is easy because it requires no supernatural power. That's why it's easy. The way to life is hard because it cannot be entered or followed by means of any natural effort. That's why it's hard. Because there's a supernatural power that you have to defer to, that you're desperate for, you need, and you're aware of this need. So all of life is you seeking power you don't have to live the life you're called to. That's hard. That's really hard. You can't just gut up and make it. You can't just gut up and enter. It's beyond you. That's why it's so hard. So then there's some conclusions that we draw here. If the way to life that Jesus is describing, this way or this gate, it can only be entered and it can only be followed by means of supernatural power you don't possess, it's really difficult in that way. Then if your life requires no supernatural power, it's easy and it's leading to destruction. That's an alarming thought, isn't it? Isn't that the kind of thought that someone would say out loud and when you hear it, you're, you have a decision to make about how, how far you're going to go down this train of thought? Like, again, don't hear me saying, if your life isn't filled with difficult circumstances, then you must not be on the way to life, because that's not the point, right? It's not about circumstances. It's about what you're living for and your ability to live for it. 
If you're living for things that don't require any supernatural power that's beyond you, then your life is easy. You're, you're living for things you can accomplish. You're living for things that in your own strength you can accomplish. But if you're living for things that are beyond your ability to accomplish in your own strength, then your life is hard. Your life is hard. It requires faith. It requires constant attention to your direction. If it requires power from the Holy Spirit to overcome your sinful desires, to believe the gospel of Jesus, to devote yourself to obedience to his commands, to value and seek the glory of God above your own comfort, then your life is hard and it's leading to life. Now, I'm, I'm saying that because I want to encourage you, not because I want to discourage you, you may end up on the wrong side of that. You may, you may be growing more and more concerned as you sit listening to Jesus say this and listening to an explanation. You may, you're, the concern, the amount of alarm in you may be growing. I'm doing, taking an inventory. I'm evaluating my way of life, my goals, the things I'm aiming for, the things I'm seeking, and I'm realizing right now I don't have to trust in some power of the Spirit of God working in me for me to accomplish or, or, or gain those things. That's very concerning. Jesus says if, if that's the aim of your life, things that you can grasp, things that you can seek in your own power, then you are leaving, you're leading a life that is leading to destruction. But on the other side of that, if you find that your goal in life is to glorify God, to obey Him, to not operate in your own power, to just follow your own sinful desires, but instead to be living a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you find it to be incredibly difficult, let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, then you are on a way that leads to life. It's difficult because it's impossible for you it requires the power of the Spirit. Praise God that your life is so difficult in the way that it's difficult. Don't be discouraged. Keep on enduring, seeking the power of the Spirit. It's difficult for a really good reason, because you're on the right way. You've entered through the narrow gate. Keep enduring. Now, let me slow down here for just a minute. I know that that's like 100 miles an hour right out of the gate. You're like, man, warm me up. <laughs> let me slow down for, for just a moment and point out that the Christian life is hard in the way that Jesus says it's hard, but it's also filled with joy according to the same Jesus. Also filled with joy. Hard and joyful. Not hard, but intermittently joyful. When it's not so hard, also joyful. But at the same time and for the same reasons, the Christian life is filled 
with joy. Same Jesus said it. I'm going to prove it to you, okay? I'm not just going to like throw that at you, take my word for it. We're going to actually read a series of scriptures. Again, just Jesus' teaching. So let's go Matthew 13, 44. A little bit rapid fire here, but we're going to just run through it. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Quote, unquote, Jesus. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a person who finds such a great treasure that they leave everything else they own in order to possess this one treasure in their joy. Now, is it easy to give up everything you have in order to possess one thing? No, that's not easy, but he did it in his joy. His joy was so exceeding, so great that he had found this treasure that he did a really difficult thing. Leave everything else behind in order to have this one thing. Luke 6, 22 through 24. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Living a really difficult life, entering through a narrow gate and following a hard way that's filled with people hating, reviling, scorning, rejoice in that day. Your reward is great in heaven. Because of the hardness of the path, the joy will be great. John 15, 11, Jesus again. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That my joy may be... Jesus' joy. If anyone is joyful, isn't Jesus joyful? King of kings, Lord of lords, sovereign creator, sustainer, possessor of all things to wield for the pleasure of his own will and for the glory of his name. If anyone is joyful, isn't Jesus joyful? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's why Jesus taught everything he taught. That we would have his joy and that it may be full in us. Just a little bit forward in John 16, 22. He says to them, in, in the time leading up to his crucifixion, when he would be rejected, when he would be hung on a cross, when from the disciples' perspective, all would be lost, he says to them, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. In the midst of a very hard thing that we're all going to endure together, you can have joy knowing that your hearts will rejoice, you will see me again, and that joy you have in fulfilled hope no one will be able to take from you. 
That's a promise from him to his disciples. Clearly, Jesus has not died for our sins and risen from the dead so that we would become a people marked by gloom over the difficulty of our lives. On the contrary, the difficulty of our lives, which is our constant dependence on submission to, suffering for the truth of the gospel and the work of the Spirit in our lives, as difficult as it is, it is also the source of joy in us that Jesus says cannot be taken away. Our lives are hard because we've entered through the narrow gate and we're following the hard way that few are following, the way of faith in Christ. It's hard because of our faith in Christ. It's hard because it requires constant dependence on the work of the Holy Spirit and not deferring back to our own natural resources and desires. That's hard. It's a hard way to live. Uh, Not hard because I think so. Not hard because we would all sit in circles and tell each other, isn't it so hard to do the right thing? Isn't it so hard to follow Jesus? Isn't it so hard to remember and believe perpetually and live in accordance with our beliefs? Not hard because we realize it's hard, because we feel that it's hard, hard because that's the way Jesus himself defined it. He said it would be hard. He knows us. So when you feel that it's very difficult to live this Christian life, know that you are feeling what Jesus said would be true. Don't be discouraged by that. You should be encouraged. You should be built up. Your hope should be growing. My life is hard, I find it difficult. I'm always in this war, this battle. Listen, can we all just be honest with each other? Following Christ can be exhausting, right? It can be exhausting because you can't just do what's normal. You can't just do what's natural. You can't just go with the flow, take it easy, check out. You can, you can maybe do your job that way. You can maybe parent your kids. You could be married in a way that just feels like you're just rolling with things and just whatever comes naturally, that's what I'll do and I'll trust the results. As Christians, we cannot live that way and it can be exhausting. We're always having to remember always having to remind our hearts, always having to live in a way that is contrary to our natural desires. Like Paul said to the Galatians, the desires of the spirit are opposed to the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are opposed to the desires of the spirit. Therefore, we have to crucify the flesh with its sinful desires. Every day you're crucifying yourself, crucifying your natural desires. That's hard. That's why following Jesus is hard. Not because it's wrong, not because you made a mistake, not because you sin sometimes and that just complicates things and God's trying to work with you, but you're so difficult. It's hard because it's right and your flesh is always working in opposition 
to what is pleasing to God. That's why this way is hard. Romans 8, verse 6, to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Just before that, he says, to set the mind on the flesh is death. It's easy to operate in the flesh, but it's death. It's hard to walk in the spirit, but it's life, it's peace. But not only does this life following Jesus, hard as it is because of our necessary dependence on supernatural power from the spirit, not only does it mean joy for us now, even when we suffer greatly, but there's also this promise, this promise of future joy as well. So keep reading. Romans 8, that was verse 6, about life and peace now when we walk by the Spirit. But look at verse 18 of Romans 8. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, now what he's talking about is the way you suffer not only just because you're living on earth and it's a broken place full of sinful people, but also the suffering and predominantly the suffering that you face because you're a follower of Christ, because you're seeking the narrow way, because you're following the way of Christ. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Not only a present joy in the midst of all the difficulty of following Jesus, but also a future joy, a future glory, a promise attached. We aren't stepping out of this topic now. I, I know it may feel a bit like we're stepping out of what Jesus said, like we're, we started there but now we're following this other thing. We aren't stepping out of this topic that Jesus has raised. Let me connect some spiritual ideas here. The path to life is narrow and hard and few are on it. There will be suffering. There will be discipline. There will be dependence on the Spirit's power. There will be a war against our selfish, sinful desires. There will be persecution because of our love and obedience to Christ and everything we all collectively suffer together compiled into one thick file labeled the sufferings of this present time will become less than a footnote, less than chicken scratch in the margins unworthy of even a comparison to the magnificent glory that we will all be folded into when Jesus comes, eradicates sin and suffering forever, restores creation to perfection, welcomes us into the eternal dwellings that Hans was just talking about last week. It's hard now for the sake of future glory and eternal joy. It's hard now. It's not hard later. It's hard now because we live in this corrupt, sinful body of flesh that we are warring against. 
always battling against. It's always seeking to cause us to stumble and draw us into our natural way of thinking. And we are always, always fighting and saying no. We are always saying Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's more satisfying. The joy that I find in him is real and it's full. This false kind of joy that I find from following the easy way, it's unsatisfying. For a moment it may feel like pleasure, but in eternity it will feel like death. It will be, according to Jesus, destruction. The reason for highlighting our current and our future joy in light of present difficulty that we face in following Jesus is this. Jesus is worth it. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. Please hear me now. Hear me. If, if all of this has just been kind of swirling around and it feels very big and maybe doesn't even feel like it's really getting into your daily rhythm of life, like I believe in Jesus and I'm seeking to follow him, doesn't feel that hard yet. Maybe it's like, you know, Paul said, you, you haven't yet resisted sin to the point of shedding your blood. <laughs> I don't know how repentance leads to that, but I realize biblically it can, but maybe that just feels very distant from your life, that your commitment to Christ's likeness, your experience following him has not yet reached a point where you feel like this is so hard. This is so hard. This feels like such a narrow, difficult way. Maybe you just feel like you're in a sea of people who are leading lives going, yeah, Jesus is great. And my life is very comfortable. And my life feels very easy. And I, I actually, I thank God for it all the time. Maybe this whole notion that Jesus has raised is kind of flying over your head. Maybe it's missing you a little bit. The whole point, if I can bring it down to one thing, Jesus said, his way is hard and when you're living by faith in him, you will experience the difficulty because you're experiencing the war. And it's worth it because Jesus is worth it. He is worth all of it. But before you would, you know, jump into amens and nodding in agreement, I'm gonna ask you here, and I know I do this a lot. I know this, I've made this a bit of a practice here. I'm going to ask you to step outside of the tradition and the ritual of this moment where I'm the preacher and you're the congregation and you knew you were going to come and sit in the seat you're sitting in and that someone was going to stand here and launch things at you and, and call you to make decisions. Please, right now, let's all be a room full of people seeking truth. A room full of people who are broken, who are limited, who have fears, who have desires that are contrary to the will of God, and we're, we're battling and we're fighting and we're sometimes discouraged, but we believe in Jesus and we believe the Bible's telling the truth, so let's just be a group of Christians. 
And the statement that I made that Jesus is worth all the difficulty, all the suffering that you would face, all of the racking your brain, all of the moving against the grain, against the flow of your nature, that all of it is worth it because he is worth it. Please let the absoluteness of that statement surround and press in on and penetrate your heart. The absoluteness of that statement, Jesus is worth it. Worth giving away my money? Yes. Worth giving away my time? Yes. Unnatural desires, right? Things that can even feel scary, things that can feel risky. Yes, worth it. But everything in moderation, right? Everything in moderation, wrong. Not Jesus. Please. Please, please do not pursue, do not seek, do not enjoy Jesus in moderation. That's not hard. That's not a narrow, difficult path that leads to life. That's an easy, wide path. And many people are on it and they're going to die. They're going to die. Because Jesus is worthy of all devotion, of all enjoyment, of all satisfaction. Not just a good shot at it, not just a hobby, not a weekend. Not a day a week, not a fleeting thought, not a pursuit on the side. Those things are easy. Following Jesus, that's narrow, that's hard, that is demanding of all, not in moderation time and money and anything else spent on knowing and glorifying Christ is always worth it. Jesus is worth it. Is he worth being shamed as simple or bigoted because of my belief in him? Yes. Worth the awkwardness of bringing him up out of nowhere in a conversation with someone who doesn't know him or love him? Yes. Worth giving up things that I know right now in my heart is all about me and not all about him? Yes. That thing. (laughs) Listen, we all have that thing. Let's not pretend. Let's not be a family of people who pretend we don't all have that thing that we are coddling. That we want to enjoy Jesus and also, you know, not going to make a big deal of it. Not going to bring it up in community. 
not going to pray about it, not going to allow my mind to go there when Jesus says these kind of stark statements about devotion to him. We all have that thing. Is repenting of your over-satisfaction, your over-dependence, your unworthy devotion to that one thing, giving it up, abandoning it, repenting of it, is it worth it for the sake of knowing and enjoying Christ? Say it with me. Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, he is worth it. Oh my God, he is worth it. He is worth it. To consider that he is not is easier. And there's a wide path full of people who have considered that he is not worth it and they are going to die. What if Philippians 3 verses 7 and 8 wasn't just a sermon point or a Facebook post, but a daily reality in our lives. A thing that we would pursue, that would be true in our hearts and our perspectives, that we would embrace it as our actual pursuit in life. Not just a camp t-shirt, Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. What do you count as gain in this world that is not about knowing Christ? Count it as loss. Change your mind. Appeal to the Spirit to change your mind that rather than counting it gain, you would count it as a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything. (laughs) Is he a madman? Or is he just right? in the most drastic, sensible, godly, truthful, honest way. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything. Is he a madman? Or is he just right in the most drastic and harsh and real and honest way that actually understands the worthiness of Christ Jesus his Lord. Is Christ more than a hobby to Paul? More than a side chick? Is he more than a than a weekending pursuit? Is he more than just a means of getting through the week? Is he more than just a religious thing that makes me feel good about myself? Is he all 
satisfying. Is he worth it? Is he worth losing all because he is the definition of gain? such a need to repent of my lack of enjoyment of Jesus Christ my Lord I have counted things gain that have been offered to me on a path that leads to destruction things that are easy to accept as gain not things that require faith It requires the power of the Spirit of God working in me to open my eyes and see what's true, what's better, what's real glory. God, forgive us. I feel like in my mind I can see a wide path full of casually strolling people who think they know Jesus. But they don't know him. What heartbreaking tragedy. Whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That is easy to say. It's hard to mean. It's even harder to live out. This way is narrow. This way is hard. Few are on it. Many, even many who occupy seats in our churches are unwilling to enter and follow to abandon the pursuit of self-glory and take up their cross and follow Christ as Christ defines, as Christ commands as Christ calls and empowers. Jesus did not die on a cross and rise from the dead and ascend to the right hand of the Father and grant his Holy Spirit to fill those who believe in him so that we could put one foot in and keep one foot out so that we
could enjoy him at our convenience. That's not hard. So, the call here. The call here is to enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, friends, human beings gathered here, drawn here by the providence of God this morning to hear this word from Jesus, I appeal to you to obey his call to faith. Now, as we often do, I think there's there's a dual call here. For those of you who are Christians, the call is to be encouraged. This way is narrow. It is hard. If it feels that way, be encouraged. If it's hard because you're battling against your flesh and your natural desires so that you could live for the glory of God in obedience to Christ, trusting in him, entrusting yourself to him. If that's why your life is hard, if these are the battles you're fighting, be encouraged and persevere. You're on the way to life. Jesus has saved you. He's filled you with the Spirit so that you would be aware of the contradiction, so that you would fight the battle so that you could repent and believe and be saved and enjoy him forever. Be encouraged, persevere, appeal to the power of the Spirit in you and don't appeal to or trust in your own power, your own devices, your own wisdom. If you are a person who came into this room this morning not believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died on a cross in the place of sinners so that God's wrath against sinners would be poured out on him in our place. That he was raised from the dead three days later, proving his sovereignty over sin and death, proving his deity that he cannot be killed, that he cannot be tamed, that he is alive even now, and that those who trust in what he did on the cross, believe in him for forgiveness of sins, will be forgiven. 
and that the righteousness of Christ will be given to them as a gift of God's grace through no work of their own, just through faith. If you're a person who entered this room not believing these things, then the call is also clear to you. Follow Christ, believe in him. Enter this narrow gate, follow this hard way. It's full of real joy that never ends. But the way you've been on is leading to destruction, the wrath of God. I feel that really the only appropriate thing we can do in light of what Christ is saying here is pray for help. So let's do that. Jesus, when you say this, when you declare this so authoritatively, just so staunchly, just, there's no apology, there's no exception. You didn't qualify it in any way. There's no but if or anything. Just you are the way. And following you is hard. I feel, Lord, that so many times we read these things and we, we, we have a, a slot to slide this statement into theologically. The Bible teaches this. But so often we fail to live by it to believe it on a Tuesday at three o'clock in the afternoon, to submit ourselves to the truth of it, to live in light of it, that it would change our day, that it would change our plans for the future, that it would change the way we interact with one another, the way we pray, the way we sing, the way we teach, the way we evangelize. Lord, please cause the truth of what you've said here to permeate our souls. To not just descend heavily on us on a Sunday morning and then we leave and we go enjoy lunch and and by tomorrow we've forgotten about it and we've just defaulted back to our natural patterns. Oh, please deepen our faith, our trust, our enjoyment, our satisfaction in you at the expense of everything else. 
Help us to count every other pursuit, every other gain as loss, as rubbish in pursuit of knowing you, gaining you, being found in you. The old hymn comes to mind. Lord, please make it true of our, our walk with you that the things of this world would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. In an era here, in a generation now when the public broadcasted best-selling version of Christianity is easy and false. full of natural desires that lead to destruction. Lord, would you cause us to be saved from it, to be delivered from it, to truly follow the true Christ, sincerely, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith, reach the point, Lord, in my, my prayers about this where I feel like only groanings could communicate. I don't know how else to ask you, Lord, but I know my heart aches. Our hearts ache to know you more, to be free, to not be tethered to this world, to our flesh, to live lives worthy of the gospel, worthy of the calling we've received. Help us, Lord. Empower us. Please do it for your name's sake, that the name of Jesus would be lifted up, exalted, enjoyed, magnified, called upon. Explained and appealed to, preached, trusted in. We love you, God. We need you. We appeal to you, ask you. Do this in us, in our weakness, our limitation. Do this in us, please, God. We submit to you. In Jesus' name, amen.